You're listening to Happy and Holy, the podcast where scripture comes to life through a small group discussion. This season, as we're walking through the birth of the church in Acts, you get to be a fly on the wall to see what new things we learn with and from one another as we engage scripture in community. I'm your host and discussion facilitator, Kate Boyd. I'm a disciple maker, writer, and speaker who is making space in the church for Christians caught in the messy middle between conservative and progressive. We love Jesus, love people, and work with God and each other for a better world. Welcome to the show. If you're a messy middle Christian like me, sometimes you need a safe space to explore your faith. If you're looking for a community like that, then the Messy Middle Christian Patreon community is up and ready for you to join. If you've listened to the show before, you know that we like bunny trails and rabbit holes related to the Bible, Christian history, and how faith and life collide in unique ways. In this Patreon community, you can get access to weekly bunny trails, which include curated content to explore something new, and monthly rabbit holes, where I or some friends teach you about the many sides you can take on a Christian doctrine, themes and fun facts about books of the Bible, and deep dives into topics or concepts from the Bible or church life today. Plus, you get a community of other messy middle Christians to explore and discuss all of these ideas as you process them in a safe space. You can join for as little as $5 a month and get curated adventures to discover more about what it means to follow Jesus in the messy middle. If you'd like to learn more or join, you can do that at patreon.com slash messy middle Christian. Okay, today I am so excited to be joined by Courtney Ellis and Elisa Johnston as we talk about Acts 1 and 2. And in these chapters... I mean, there's so much good stuff in Acts that this season is going to be amazing. But the three of us today talk about what you do when you're expecting Jesus to come back quickly, the weird and wild wonder of Pentecost, and what the church looked like when it was first growing. I hope that you're as excited as I am, so let's jump right in. Welcome, everybody. We are here talking about Acts 1 and 2. This is the first episode of a brand new season of Happy and Holy, and so I'm really excited um, to have my guests with me. Courtney, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm so excited to be here on the Happy and Holy podcast. Um, I'm Courtney Ellis. I'm a pastor in Southern California at a Presbyterian church, PCUSA, where I work alongside my husband, who's also a pastor. So we do a lot of church. I am the author, most recently, of the book Happy Now, which feels like it'd be a good fit for this podcast. So I'm excited about that. It's a book about God's gift of playfulness. I'm a columnist over at Fathom Magazine, and I am a displaced Wisconsinite living here in Southern California. So I am comfortable in tornado country. I am not as comfortable in earthquake country. And when our neighbors roll in their trash cans on Monday nights, I always hit the deck because I'm convinced it's an earthquake. (laughs) We've been here seven years and I'm still doing it. Wow. 
Elisa, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, I'm Elisa Johnston. Um, I'm a blogger at Average Advocate, and I talk with people about how to start making a difference on social issues in the world. Um, started multiple nonprofits and ministries um, and guide people through that process. And um, longtime leaders I tend to do coaching with and guidance with on how to make an impact in the world well and do so while not burning out. Um, because we see a lot of that. I've gone through that a couple times. Um, I'm originally from California, moved um, a little bit, many different places around the world, especially outside of DC for a while. Um, currently, I'm very involved in a human trafficking organization I started called Blackout Trafficking, so I'm always throwing out a plug for that. And um, I'm a mom of three kids and a wife, and most of the time I just live my life as an ordinary person, and then I get online, and then I'm a, and then I'm a writer. <laughs> So that is, that is me. Welcome. Well, thank you guys for joining me to talk through Acts 1 and 2, which are actually, I think, some of the most exciting chapters in the Bible. Um, and so, yeah, I think we have a lot to talk about. So we'll jump right in. Um, Elisa, why don't you recap for us chapter 1? All right. I was kind of excited that I got chapter one because then I didn't have to remember as much. Chapter one is more of an introduction and a and a, and a beginning to to Acts. It's he's it's Luke and he's writing to um, his friend. Although some people think his friend is a metaphor for the church. Um, take it however you want. And um, he starts writing and he's and he takes he takes up when Jesus after Jesus is resurrected and he's with his disciples and uh, he's talking about Jesus. Teaching teaching his disciples for another 40 days and showing in showing the world that he resurrected and making sure that that was like everybody knew that he was resurrected and preparing them for the Holy Spirit. And so as he's preparing them for the Holy Spirit, he keeps being like, hey, hold on. The Spirit is coming. Here's some instructions. Keep waiting. The Spirit is coming, and I'm going to go. And, and and his people, um, his disciples are asking him, like, is this now? Or now are you going to bring in the restoration of your kingdom? Is this the time? And um, he he's kind of like, actually, I'm under the authority of the Father, and kind of pulls out some of those like lines about authority. And you know, you kind of see all aspects of the Trinity in this passage, which I I thought was kind of interesting. I don't know if anybody else noticed that. Um, but then, and, and then he ends up, he ends up kind of disappearing into the clouds, um, which is, which is interesting because a lot of us are like, um, you know, you hear a lot of commentary about that and, you know, there's angels there, but when you're reading it, you're not necessarily like, huh, are those actually angels? And as you're reading it, you're also kind of like, you didn't really just, you know, float away into nothingness, but does say he kind of raised up a little. I mean, that whole dynamic is a very Sunday school dynamic to me, like where you see pictures of, you know, white Jesus on the clouds who who kind of disappears. Yeah, um, it sounds like a familiar picture sometimes. I yeah, and you know, and so I I did kind of go a little bit into to like some of the wording on that and uh, I mean, he really did disappear in the clouds. Oh cool. Um, I mean, well we can talk about that when we get there. That'd be yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and I was like, "Huh, okay." And um and then it switches back to the disciples because they were given instructions to wait for the spirit and then go out to um to Judea and outward to Jerusalem, Judea and the ends of the earth. And so they go up to this room 
and there's 120 of them. It's the disciples and his woman followers and other people. And they're just praying there. And then Peter gets up and is like, hey, we actually have to address this Judas issue, which I actually thought was interesting that they brought it up because it's not like they had a funeral or a memorial service. And I mean, he was their buddy, um, the you know, the one who betrayed Jesus. And they kind of go down the prophecies about like it kind of had to happen, which sort of made me feel uncomfortable. And then from there, they're like, we actually need a new um, apostle. So that way we still have 12. So they throw lots or dice, um, depending on how you understand understand that, to choose another uh, disciple to re- that was with Jesus from the very beginning, who could be a witness all the way through, which, you know, it's always exciting to know, like, oh, there were actually a lot of other people there. Um, and they end up choosing Matthias. And it's kind of like a whole setting the stage chapter. Um, and that's kind of in a nutshell, Acts chapter one, getting us ready for the big and exciting Acts chapter two. Although I guess Jesus going up in a cloud is pretty exciting too. And that he was there teaching for (laughs) 40 days. I got really stuck on that one. (laughs) Well, yeah. So let's start there because we're at, um, you know, the beginning of Acts. So Luke introduces the book and he's talking about Jesus having resurrected and that he was alive and talking to people um, and convincing proofs and all of those things. So what uh, really sort of jumped out at you guys, um, maybe Courtney, start with you in that first little bit, just sort of getting us into the swing of things. I don't think the 40, the number 40 had stuck out to me before. We always talk about, you know, 40 days of Lent and 40 days of Jesus temptation. And so that that's mirrored here was really interesting to me um, that he was around for 40 days, with it, which is a significant amount of time. Um, and there's something so um, powerful and profound about the final words someone leaves with you. And we spend a lot of time mm-hmm. with the final words of Christ on the cross. We do a lot of that with Lent and Easter. Um, but what is it that he leaves them with? And it's this, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And already the start of this sending out that we see then increase in chapter two. Um, and final words have such weight to them. So to picture the disciples standing there looking up into heaven, and those are the words ringing in their ears and the words ringing in our ears today. And what is that call? Um, Mm. What does that call for each of us? Mm. You know, what's interesting is that I've always like, as a kid, it was always like Jesus's instructions, or I think in some of the Bibles, it's always like Jesus's instructions. But then when I was thinking about it, I'm like, his final words were more than they were more than instructions. It was like he was doing full on teaching with him about the kingdom of God, um, like what the kingdom of God looks like. And, and, you know, his disciples are like, is this the time? And I guess I just, that probably really stood out to me. Um, because like within that, I, I guess part of me is like, I want to know what Jesus taught for 40 days. Like, like this stuff that like, did it inform the, the gospels? I don't, I don't know. Did, did that content kind of get in there? But those are, you know, historical biographies. So they're kind of talking about that time as it comes. But I know sometimes some of those authors kind of reinterpreted a little bit of the stuff that Jesus said. Did that come from the 40 days? I, I don't know. And so I guess I got really kind of went down rabbit trailing down that and I couldn't really find very much commentary on it, which 
which surprised me because I thought other people would be really excited also or get into that. But I didn't really find anybody. I mean, granted, I didn't search like incredibly hard, but I didn't find other people who were very, very much like trying to interpret that, except for there's there's one commentary I find that found that was talking about how it was a continuation of Jesus's ministry, which I guess some beliefs like New Age beliefs and Gnostic beliefs thought that maybe Jesus kind of like changed everything he taught previously in that 40 days. And it was just like, these 40 days are interpreted open to interpretation. And so therefore he changed everything that he said earlier. And I was like, I I don't even know how anybody would come up with that, but pretty much that commentary was like, (laughs) it wasn't that he was still teaching about the kingdom. Yeah. A lot of people have a lot of guesses, but I think that's sort of the idea is that is that we don't know or what we do know, we would have to surmise from the ministry of the apostles themselves. You know what I mean? Like how did they live? What did they preach? How did they, you know, disciple and push people to live. So that's sort of what I think though, um, maybe acts does for us. Like it gives us some of that picture so that we're actually seeing it, um, unfold in a narrative versus, you know, something long like the sermon of the, on the Mount that is also about the kingdom of God. Right. So we can assume that it's probably in in those same veins, I suppose. But um, yeah, yeah, so I think it's almost like we're not told, but I think we're shown. I think so too. And also like the whole aspect of, I mean, I've always been blown away by how the apostles seem to understand the idea of the resurrection um, in the context of that so much more somehow or another after, you know, after Jesus resurrected and they moved on and moved forward I think that maybe in that, I mean, this is my guess, but I think in that time period, that was really when all that, you know, it was like this whole season of rethinking and understanding everything that Jesus taught them through a new lens and understanding those old scriptures. Cause, cause you see that a lot, you see that a lot throughout the epistles about how they seem to understand all this so much more and so much more in depth, which is why we go to them to learn about the resurrection and the kingdom of God and the restoration. And, and I think that my personal thought is that that's really probably where that really became more clear to them in that season. It's very I possible. think it's, it's interesting to the, the piece of Elisa, you were saying you've heard it as the, these are the final instructions and I'd heard it that way too. And I think often, especially with children and Sunday school programs, we tend to lean on the, this is what you're supposed to do. And there's so much in the first part of chapter one that is about wait for this gift and receive this from me, right? Verse, um, verse, uh, four, right? Do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then down just a little bit later, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So it's, you will do these things on behalf of the kingdom, but you will do them as an outflow of what I'm giving to you, your your receivers first. Um, And I think that's such an important point to underscore, especially for those of us who are like, I'll get up, I'll do it. I can, you know, let me take matters into my own hands. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you're about to see me go and you're going to freak out a little bit, but just be patient. I am not leaving you alone. There is more to receive. There's more to be revealed. Um, and what a grace. It's not, you know, I'm out. I'll see you guys at the end of the millennia. So try not to screw things up. It's wait with open yeah. hands. Yeah. I mean, one of the commentaries I was reading was like the first thing the disciples had to do was wait. That's what they were told to do that, you know, they're, he's like, 
I've given you what I have to give you. Now you just got to wait. And so they waited and they prayed. And so it's really, uh, it is interesting because I know that I get frustrated (laughs) when I'm asked to wait. I don't like that. Um, (laughs) So I can imagine that it would feel sort of the same way when you're charged with being a witness and you're like ready to go do that. And then he's like, but first wait, which then leads us to the actual ascension. So then he's leaving, um, which is, I mean, so I was reading that apparently there are stories of of ascension for like people who died um, and then they ascend to become gods. But what's different about uh, Jesus is obviously that he was alive and he was ascending. And so it sort of like mirrors some of those myths, but mm. it's got a twist on it because Jesus is alive and ascending, um, which I thought was really interesting. Okay. Um but yeah, I mean, what do we think of the ascension and some of the things that are happening there? Because there's, we've got going up. He's giving them again the charge. There's two angels. Um, it's a lot of things happening. How would you feel if someone ascended to heaven in front of you? <laughs> it it struck me how often in scripture something totally bananas happens, like something totally out of the ordinary, an angel shows up or Jesus ascends into heaven. And the response is, why? Right? Why are you afraid? Oh, I don't know, because the boat was about to sink. Why do you stand here looking up into the sky? I don't know, because Jesus just went up to heaven. You know, and it's such a it's such a fascinating word to a perfectly normal human response, right? If Jesus had gone up and they immediately dispersed, like, well, nothing to see here, that would have been stranger. <laughs> Um, but I think it's not so much a question of, you know, why are you doing this? But it's a, it's a question that's open, that helps them open up their own souls to wonder, right? Why, why are we looking up? What did he tell us before we went, right? It's, it's not a, the teacher is angry question. It's a look inside yourself. Why, why is this happening for you? Why are you here? Why are you standing here? Um, it's a way to reflect back into what was previously given to them. I think. Um, Mm. Mm. That is interesting. I I think my thoughts, I actually really liked what you said there, Courtney. Thank you. Um, I'll think about that. Um, I, I think when I was considering it, I was more so considering it from kind of that perspective of what is heaven. Um, And, And I think that this verse comes up a lot when people talk about going to heaven and where the idea, you know, like one of the places where the idea of heaven is in the clouds, you know, and I, I don't really, um, I, I'm not, I don't really kind of have that view of heaven, that heaven is, you know, a place in the clouds or there's, you know, angels and harps and floating and whatever else. But it was interesting to read it through that lens because I was like, I can see kind of if this is your only context for what heaven is, you're like, okay, I guess heaven's in the clouds. There he goes. You know, he's floating on the clouds. But, you know, I've I've listened to, you know, a lot from N.T. Wright and other people about heaven and the context of heaven and, and, and what heaven is and how he approaches this, you know, scripture and the idea of a place of rest or paradise alongside God in that time before, um, before the restoration of the world and Jesus returns and resurrects. But it was interesting because I was thinking about it from that perspective. I'm like, I could see why people think that, you know, if this is your only verse on heaven, you're like, yeah, I guess he's in clouds. Um, yeah, it does so- be- become a popular 
image, you know, for us and not just in the Ascension, but even like, like you said, it sort of trickles its way into other things. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And it's curious to me too. Um, he's literally just spent 40 days with them teaching them about the kingdom of God and he's about to leave. And they're like, so are we going to restore the kingdom? (laughs) Um, Which I think bless the disciples hearts. Like, I feel like they're Mm. always like, so, so close. Right. Um, And I, which I relate to, because I feel like that's how I feel a lot of the time. Um, But that it was even, that even though it builds on the story of Israel, then we're starting to see how it's about to open up, right? Like even once mm-hmm. we get to chapter two, the whole paradigm shifts. Um, yeah. But they're still sort of like stuck in this space, even though he just spent 40 days with them talking about it. Like, I don't know. That's very weird to me, um, like a weird reaction, I guess, or assumption. Um but I guess it it makes sense to them probably, right? They're just always yeah. ready for the next thing to happen. You know, mm-hmm. like, great, you said this and now this, let's do it. We're we're here. And I think that impatience is such a deeply human impulse. I feel it in myself, mm-hmm. right? We, if we know how this is going to end, let's get there, right? Is the, what's the line mm-hmm. from when Harry met Sally? When you know who you want to spend the rest of your life <laughs> you want the rest of your life to begin as quickly as possible, right? The disciples are like, this is where we're headed. If the kingdom really is coming, why do we have to go through all this, right? All this suffering and confusion and difficulty and loneliness. And let's just, let's get there. I get it, man. I know. Sometimes I kind of want to like zoom back in time and like be like, guys, we're still waiting to, <laughs> like, we're still trying to bring the kingdom to. I know you weren't thinking it was going to take 2000 years, but like, I, I just, I think it would be so hard to like have that, that belief and that expectation and, and not have any timelines like associated with it. And, you know, and when they ask him about timelines, he's like, I don't know the timeline. Um, that's up to the father, you know, and I, I guess, I guess that is just one of those things that is like that we're constantly having to process as that God's time is totally outside of our realm of time and our view of time. And that's what they're experiencing in this moment too. And straight from there, they have to go, you know, they just, they wait because God instructed them to, which I liked what you said, Courtney, about that being like a place of a blessing and rest and, and maybe even recovery. I mean, they've just gone through a lot of craziness. I mean, insane craziness. I mean, like their whole world just completely shifted. Um, and I, I guess it really definitely shows that, that God, I mean, at some point we either have to decide that even if God gives us really great instructions and we know ultimately what he's called us to do at the same time we also he also understands our hearts and where we're at and what we actually need which is not always right away the calling that he's placed on our life a lot of times it's to to be patient in that that middle space um and he's okay with the calling not being fulfilled right now i mean sometimes he's okay with it not being fulfilled for 2000 years so anyway yeah, i think I mean, if the original the- i think the original writers of scripture would have had some questions if they knew what that word soon meant that they used so oh, often gosh. in the gospels and the epistles, right? What do they say in the Chronicles of Narnia? Aslan says, I call all times soon. I'm like, that is so unhelpful. <laughs> yeah. That's not helpful for me right now. Thank you. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's also really interesting. So another place that I read was talking about how it seemed like the disciples were concerned at this moment with the absence of Jesus instead of like being the presence of Jesus, Mm -hmm. um, which is sort of like about, which is kind of the whole thing. Right. Um, And he was even talking about how like Jesus presents himself to be touched. And so now life um, and love and discipleship means sort of this, like touching this humanity. Um, And so they're just sort of like missing that gap as he goes away they're like, but where where did he go? What are we supposed to be doing mm. now? And then, um, but then they become the presence, right? And mm. they're sort of like, or they they will. We're getting there, but yeah, it was just sort of it was a really interesting dynamic to me to think about the presence and absence mm. uh, balance that I hadn't heard of, hadn't and how difficult that, that shift would be because they'd been walking mm. around with him. They'd been, you know, like they were traveling with him. They were sharing meals with him. So of course that's a difficult shift. God is, you know, Jesus is still present to you. Really? Cause yesterday, you know, he and I were literally breaking a loaf of bread together and now I saw him go up into heaven. And so I think that shift from presence of Jesus to presence of the Holy spirit and Jesus still present, but you can't hug him anymore. You can't feed Mm -hmm. him anymore is a really, it's it's a entire paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we move to the replacement of Judas with Matthias, Matthias. Um, So yeah, we get there. There's, like you were mentioning in your recap, Elisa, that they have to be, you know, somebody who was with Jesus from his baptism to his resurrection, um, which narrowed down the candidates, it seems like, significantly. So they ended up with two choices, and they talk about what that means, and then they cast lots. What out of here, um, or even touching on Judas a little bit, what out of here jumped out at y'all? I always wonder how Barsabbas, Justice, the one who didn't get chosen, felt. Right? Oh, like it was almost yeah. there. You Me got too. second place on Survivor. Sorry, no one will remember you. You were oh, almost uh, really important, but you're not. Right. <laughs> right. Thanks I've for walking like... around with Jesus and experiencing all the suffering for the past three years. You know, maybe maybe one of the other disciples will betray him in some way and you can fill in that spot later. We don't know. I just, I feel for him. He's not the main character, but I feel for him. It's a bummer. It is. I I mean, I I think that I always am like, I think I would probably end up being him because I would just be so like gung ho and be like, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah, put me in. And then like, you know, but God knows my heart. And sometimes he's like, there's a little too much pride there, Elisa, for you to, for uh, uh, let's, let's work through this a little bit. Let's see if you can actually still like be confident enough to follow me even without this label type of thing you know because really it's not like he's gonna stop following I mean I would be really surprised if he walked out of that if he walked out of that room right there after he didn't get chosen but you know at the same time he's probably still gonna be um you know following Jesus and the way and and still bringing the kingdom forward and you know but now he's doing it without a label and that I don't know. I think that takes like an extra challenge to, to 
to do in a way where where you can really like be confident in who God called you to be. So I don't know what was going on in his heart, but I'm like, there had to be something going on in his heart where him and God were working through things together. Um, and and yeah, I don't know, but I think I would be really disappointed if I was him. Him too. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I also get stuck on this is, is why did there still have to be 12 disciples um, at this point? Like there must, and I didn't dig into that and kind of now in retrospect, I wish I did. But I, I mean, I know that previously there had to be 12 for um, a rabbi to be like a officialized like for them to be like you have 12 men that are jews that follow you therefore you are actually an official rabbi so i don't know if they wanted to like keep that going because jesus is still alive even though he's not there um but i wonder if there was some cultural dynamic yeah most of the stuff that i read seemed to think that it's linked to there being 12 tribes of israel so that if we're building off the story of israel that the 12 is you know sort of symbolic of that in that way um so that they're keeping that sort of like parallel um at least anything that i read that mentioned the 12 thing mentioned that um versus something else i didn't know that about the rabbi thing so that's interesting i thought it was Uh, interesting in verse verse 20 that it goes from quoting the Psalms, may his place be deserted to may another take his place of leadership, which kind of mm-hmm. shows that you can proof text anything. Like, what should we do? I'll never <laughs> fill his spot. Oh, we should fill his spot. Right. This is like every debate on Facebook that's flinging scripture around ever. Like, no, it says, it says, um, but it's never explicitly stated why one over the other. And I think Kate, the 12 tribes of Israel is that right way. We have to keep this number of 12 um, for this reason. But it was fascinating to me that here's a Psalm that says, A, here's a Psalm that says Z, we're going with Z. Let's move along. Um, I know. I was, I'm always like some of those scriptures that they pull out. I'm like, how in the world are they using that to prove their point? That seems so like, and this was one of them too. You're like, really? Okay. Well, I'll just believe that was inspired, but um, I'm a female pastor. Kind of I have First Timothy two thrown at me all the time. Like, have you ever oh, read this? I'm and I'm sure like, no, I never yeah, have. No. I have never. Oh my goodness! Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> oh, that is so true. It's pretty constant. <laughs> oh. I'm not even a pastor, but <laughs> it gets thrown at me quite a bit too. So I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so it is always interesting to me how New Testament authors use the Old Testament because. Um, like the Old Testament wasn't written in its time for the New Testament. You know what I mean? Like it was like the New Testament written for a specific time and specific situations and to preserve history or, you know, the prophets right to correct um, what was happening and talk about history and all these things. And so it's interesting to me, like you said, how they are just sort of like pulling things or even seeing stuff, you know, that maybe have been from Isaiah, right, where they're talking about a suffering servant that wasn't really about Jesus necessarily. It was about Israel. But now there's a lens of Jesus on it, um, which they point to. um, Because to them, scripture, like this wasn't scripture. This was just a thing. Them, scripture was, you know, the the Hebrew Bible, which is very, um, which I always find kind of humbling because Mm-hmm. I don't spend as much time in the Old Testament as I do the New, probably. Um, but that's the scripture that they had, which is fascinating to me. 
And there's almost, Mm -hmm. I think, a conversational piece to it of this is something Mm -hmm. everyone in the audience would have been familiar with. It's like, Mm -hmm. if we're going to say with great Mm -hmm. power comes great responsibility, everyone's like, oh, Spider-Man, I know that, right? It's almost a, this is our shared (laughs) conversational piece, right? Less proof text and more, well, as it says, but also as it says, so let's do this, right? They're referencing almost a pop culture thing for their Mm -hmm. audience, Um, Should we fill this spot? Well, it says this, it says this, let's go this direction. Um, I think there are times and when we get to Acts chapter two, where it's Peter is digging into the book of Joel and the book of Psalms in a way that's really, this is what you see happening in this cosmic sense. But here it feels more Mm -hmm. like interesting pop culture scripture reference. Um, You know, not that (laughs) I'm, I'm not saying let's take the scripture lightly, but I do think there's a almost, there's an, there's a communication tool that they're using here. It's, it's oratory. Mm-hmm. It's, it's right. Um, There's like a subtext than... that we don't have because we're not there. Yeah. That is the word well, I was and, going for. Thank you. And I mean, we have to remember that Jesus was there within the last 40 days in probably helping them process Judas's betrayal. I mean, it seems like that would be something Jesus would do at least yeah. like to be like, Hey, yeah, you're one of your besties just betrayed me and killed me it's great that I'm alive again, but you know, like I think I, I have, I would be highly surprised if Jesus and the disciples weren't having conversations about that up until that point, just because, you know, death is a hard thing, especially, you know, a suicide death plus, you know, a betrayal death, you know? So I think, I think that there was also probably conversations that were informing it beforehand before they got to this point, because, I mean, they had to be processing Judas is dying before this point. Um, so, I'll, you know, I think that there, uh, there's a possibility that came in with it also where, you know, it, you know, it's possible because Jesus yeah. was quoting scriptures about Judas before he died, um, before he was betrayed anyways, you know, so you're kind of right. wondering, kind of makes me want to go back to those a little bit and see what Jesus was saying at that point when he was predicting his betrayal. And then now at this point where they're like picking up what he previously had talked about. Um, what do you, I don't know. I Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it, I think you're right. It sounds like something Jesus would have done with them is walk. I mean, he was very attentive to how people thought and felt and even how he treated, you know, Peter after he came back um, mm, and, yeah, you know, true. met with him and forgave him and cooked him breakfast and stuff like that, that you get, um, you know, I think Jesus was pastoral too, you know? And so I think that feels very like something that he would, he would have done. Um, I think it, one thing that sort of stands out at me, I guess now because I'm, I'm, you know, post Holy Spirit, but when they're like, Lord, show us, you know, everyone's heart, show us the right person. And then they cast lots, which sort of feels like, um, I, I understand that that was something that they did, you know, regularly back then, but it seems like a, a weird way to go about this, uh, situation considering all the different ways that Paul in the past or not Paul that, um, God in the past had sort of like indicated specific things like I'm going through um numbers with a group of people and so we just got past like the blooming rod of Aaron and stuff like that when he's like you know pointing out that no Aaron's definitely the chosen dude so you guys stop trying to usurp him um and so lots feels like a 
I don't know, maybe it just feels a little pedestrian to me. Like it's almost like <laughs> too simple, too normal. It's um, casino night. It's casino right. night. Yeah. Acts. <laughs> I know. I was, I was like, there's gambling in the Bible. Yeah. But I believe, I believe, and I might be wrong, but I, I believe this is the last time that is used, right? There's this idea that now the Holy Spirit is here and we have the gift of discernment and it's less a like stumbling in the dark, looking for a sign, putting out a fleece and more a deep inner work kind of thing. But yeah, Yeah, it struck me too. Are you disentangling your faith from the culture around you? Well, when I was doing that, and as I continue to do that in my life, the greatest tool for me in that journey was the Bible itself. You've probably noticed here on the show that we love the Bible and we take it seriously, but we don't always take it literally. And that means that meaning can get a little complicated. You don't have to let that overwhelm you. I put together the big picture Bible toolkit to help you understand how all of scripture fits together in one incredible story and help you learn some new questions to ask to get at meaning without getting overwhelmed. And I put together a special Bible reading plan to help you see new connections between the Old and New Testaments. If you're ready to get back to the basics of your faith, the Bible is a great place to start, and the Big Picture Bible Toolkit can help you as you go. You can grab yours today for free at kateboy.co slash Bible. Okay, chapter two. Courtney, why don't you recap this for us? This is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. So thank you um, for letting me head here. And I could recap it for an hour and a half, but if I'm going to, if I'm going to bullet point it, (laughs) if I'm going to bullet point it, I would say it goes through three main sections, which are the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And then Peter elaborates on the signs of, of the outpouring of the spirit and what they mean and throws it back into, and Jesus, whom you crucified, by the way. Um, And then there's this beautiful (laughs) expression of repentance and 3000 converts come into the church. Um, And then it ends with a picture of really the first church and what that looks like, which was sharing everything in common and holding things together and waiting, waiting, um, waiting for what's next. So that is a very, very short Cliff's Notes summary of chapter two. That was so succinct. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's a, which is great because that gives us a lot to talk about because I think there is, I mean, this is like big deal, next level stuff, you know? Um, So yeah, it's Pentecost. So it's 50 days after Passover during the Feast of Weeks. Um, which is apparently what they do to celebrate the wheat harvest, but it's also associated with covenant renewal, renewal, which I thought was an interesting tidbit mm. that I saw. That um, so that we're sort of seeing a, a new kind of covenant renewal thing happen. So yeah, they're hanging out and we've got some wind and fire come through. Violent which- wind. Yeah, like that sounds yeah. terrifying. <laughs> yeah. This is not blow out the birthday candle, right? This is Yeah. <clears throat> this is It's like some tornado gale force winds. Yeah. We've got some big stuff. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, what yeah, do we think when the Holy Spirit falls? What are some of the stuff that um jumped out at you in this section, Elisa? Well, 
I mean, going back to chapter one, I was, I, I keep getting stuck on the idea that Jesus is like, it's better for you if the Holy Spirit comes. And, you know, I think many of us are very much like, actually, we kind of prefer you to be here, Jesus. I really like Jesus as my sidekick everywhere I go. Like, I mean, that seems like a great plan, you know, but then in reality, he's like, no, actually the Holy Spirit is I'm going to leave so you can have this. And I I think that that really challenges our perception, especially, you know, I, my church background is like all over the place. I grew up, you know, Baptist and then went to a charismatic church all through my teens where, you know, we were experiencing the Holy Spirit in very crazy ways. And then, you know, then went to a totally different type of, you know, thing where it was like multi-churches and humanitarian missions work. And then from there, it was like another type of church. And now I'm at a a slash Pentecostal apostolic church. So back to these Holy Spirit, like big Holy Spirit, you know, type of views. And so I've kind of seen the gambit of people's perception of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, and I respect where people come from, but because of the things I've seen and experienced, I'm like, there, there's something there's something happening when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And, you know, like in my church, they would, they'll bring this verse up like, like 18 million times in a service. I mean, like, I mean, I guess that's obviously a distraction, but I mean, not distraction, um, exaggeration, but you know, like in reality, like this is like in some context, you get, you get some of us who are followers of Jesus, who are, who are like really, 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 really into the Holy Spirit. And, and what does the Holy Spirit do? And what can it do for us? Because, which is kind of weird because like the whole point of the power was for them to go outward and to bring the gospel of Jesus, um, to the ends of the earth, you know, as we saw in the chapter beforehand, but then at, uh, you know, in other places and in other church experiences I've had, it's very much much like, oh yeah, I guess there's a Holy Spirit. I guess, I guess we should kind of tap into that, even though I don't know what that means. And going back again to being like, I kind of just wish Jesus was here. Let's read the gospels again, you know, and kind of avoiding the whole topic of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so I think, I think it's really interesting as, as you're kind of approaching this, because regardless, something happened and you see this happen and we see Jesus's value for what the, whoever the spirit is, like he values, he values us. This is God. I mean, the spirit is God, you know? So, um, I think that that really, I guess, as I was reading it, like there was that, that, that challenge to be like, okay, Jesus valued this that much for us. So, whatever that looks like in whatever context we're in, I want to value that the same way Jesus valued that. And so when I was reading it, I was like, uh, I was kind of trying to read it through new lenses. Cause like I said, I've read this section <laughs> so many times, but you know, I don't know. It's interesting. The one thing that I got that I had never gotten before as I was reading this is that, you know, you're always kind of like, why fire? And I was reading one commentary and it was talking about kind of going back to the Israelites when they were following the pillar of fire Mm -hmm. and pillar of smoke and how they were kind of, how it was kind of like a flashback to that. And I was like, that is very, very interesting. And how instead of one big pillar for the whole nation, it was like individual pillars for each person over their head, you know? So I thought that was kind of cool because I was like, that is kind of a good example of the spirit. Like he 
leads and he guides just like that pillar of fire did for the Israelites. So that was kind of one thing that I took away from this that I had never really thought through before. Yeah. I mean, and we sort of, if you go back to when the temple was dedicated, there's fire that shows up there too. Oh, yeah. Um, And even the wind, I think, has some of that um, because we also see, I sort of like to connect it to, you know, wind and breath of life and God breathing into the Mm, like living person. And so, um, yeah, breath and wind and fire, like all of that is definitely going to be something that I think they associate, um, with the presence of God in a, in a very real way. Yeah. The response to it too, that, that, the, the tongues of fire and the violent rushing wind. And then everyone who is not kind of in this inner circle of disciples gets to experience this for the first time. Mm. And that the responses are they're bewildered, they're amazed, they're perplexed, right? There's this mm. wonder, but uncertainty. And then verse 13 yeah. really is the kicker that some, some folks just cannot assimilate this. And so the response is derision, that they make fun of them, that they must mm. be drunk. It's only nine in the morning, as Peter says before. And <laughs> what, what do you I need to drink line. that you can suddenly speak, you know, <laughs> all of these yeah. languages that you didn't yeah. know before? For, but but I think that is so often how we see the reception of the things of God now um, mm. for folks who maybe haven't grown up in the church or they're experiencing some of this for the first time. There's amazement or bewilderness or or um, questions about it. And then, you know, you put it on Twitter and people will make fun of it, right? This beautiful, holy, sacred thing. Um, And often I see that in my own heart. I see that in my own congregation, right? If it's foreign, if it's unfamiliar, my first question often isn't, is this of God and how, but how can I poke holes in this? Because it doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel familiar. I'm not sure I want to go there. Um, And that God, God's movements often come to us in ways that we we don't expect and are we open to wonder or are we ready to shut down the doors and because cynicism can kill faith so quickly and can Mm -hmm. can sever connections so quickly rather than you know tell me more this is amazing oh you silly people stop drinking at 9 a.m i think yeah yeah It's, it's funny one commentary i read mentioned that apparently hecklers were common when people would speak like this, <laughs> so they Twitter is probably were. Is that what you're saying? There were apparently hecklers even back then. Um, <laughs> I also love the idea of this moment um, as sort of like the opposite of Babel, right? There are people who have pointed out that connection yes. too, where it was like a division of language, then forced everyone to spread mm-hmm. out. Um, whereas now the division of language is actually uniting people, even though they will be spread out, but they're united in a very different Mm -hmm. way. So like, instead of trying, um, you know, trying on their own to make it up to heaven or to be with God, God comes down and is with them. And it's this difference of language that actually unites people instead of divides them. And I thought that was just such an interesting way to think about it as, especially in in the flow of acts as we start like moving through and seeing how um you know the gospel does keep you know spiraling out further and further away mm-hmm. and there's almost nothing yeah. that says this is for you 
like hearing something in your own language. Mm-hmm. You know, there's almost nothing that sets yeah. your heart at ease and makes you feel connected. And um, our son goes mm-hmm. to a, a Spanish immersion public school and he's this little blonde kid, you know, that every once in a while will stumble into a conversation with someone where he'll start speaking to them in Spanish. And the first look is usually shock because he doesn't look like he would know Spanish. He's eight years old. Um, you know, but then the second thing is, oh, connection, yeah. right? Like there's oh, we can talk, we can have a conversation. There's something. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, thinking of times I've traveled in foreign countries and I'm trying my best at my my horrendous elementary German or whatever it is, and someone will turn to me in English <laughs> and just what happens within me. Um, and that so much of the book of Acts is this dispersal of the gospel throughout the world, that this is for yeah. you. You from Egypt, you from Medes, you from Mesopotamia, you from Judea, you know, all of these different cultures that are here in Jerusalem at this moment, and it's going to go farther. It's going to go farther. And what a beautiful seeding of the early church and seeding of the gospel here. Yeah. I, I, I love what you said about the whole connection um, uh, like and how valuable it makes people feel. Um, when, I was, when I was a teenager, we were at a church in Mexico and we had like this really humbling moment where we were like, actually, we're not better than you. I don't really know why we're here. Like, let's just worship God together. And so we worshiped God together and we started praying for each other. And it was like at a time where I, I didn't really speak any Spanish. And so I was praying with this girl and I was like, God, I just feel like I have to say these things to her and I don't know how. So I was like praying and what, you know, uh, Pentecostals would call tongues, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like kind of half praying in English, half praying in tongues and like throwing in Spanish words every there. And I was like, I don't know what it is, but you know, like, and we were all just ministering to each other throughout the church. And, you know, I walked away from it, not really thinking of it as like, well, I don't know what happened right there. And the girl got on stage afterwards and she's, and she only spoke Spanish and she had a translator and she was like, there was a girl who prayed for me and God spoke to me through her. And I understood everything that she said. It was amazing. And I was like, and I went out immediately back to this verse of being like, like, whoa, that actually happened. And it like completely like changed my paradigm because, because I, you know, like I saw, I, I saw somebody experience that connection and that, and that, um, like taste of God. And I honestly had absolutely nothing to do with it because I didn't know what I was saying. And so like, it was one of those things that like really just blew my mind. Cause I was like, wow, God does what he wanted. He wants to do if we're open to it. And we remove that aspect of cynicism that you were talking mm-hmm. about Courtney earlier. And, and I think that that was like, you know, like it's so much for the people, but you know, in verse, what is it? Verse four, it says like, it was, it, it filled and equipped all who were there. And I guess I just find that like amazing to be like, wow, he wants to equip us. Like he, his goal is for us to feel equipped. And I think that, um, you know, like in all the ministry that I've done in my life and, you know, when I'm pastoring people, it can feel so exhausting. And it kind of comes back to like what we were talking about earlier, that whole aspect of waiting and praying and just being equipped by the spirit and knowing that the, the spirit of God wants us to be equipped before we go out and, you know, make a difference in the world. And I think that that really stands out to me in this is that, is that his desire is for us to be equipped. He didn't send us with instructions. He didn't, he didn't say, go to all these places without equipping us. He, he loves us enough to equip us, um, whatever, 
that ends up looking like with the spirit. I, I mean, I think yeah. it looks so different in so many different situations, but I don't know. That's just great. Yeah. One of the things I was reading to you, kind of going back to what you were saying, Courtney, about like learning language, it was talking about how when you are learning language, you are essentially like submitting to the people that mm. you're learning to, right? The language mm. of, because it requires so much more immersion than just so learning humbling. words, right? Um, and I really loved a phrase that he used. He said, speak a language, speak a people. Like that's Mm -hmm. what that is like. And then he says, God speaks people fluently. And so it was really pretty. Um, it was just a really (laughs) sweet way to think about like, that's what God was doing was he was speaking people and then he was giving his people, like you said, Elisa, the equipment, right, to then speak a people as well, to speak people fluently. Mm, and yes. I just, I really loved that. Speak people fluently. And the, who said speak, who said that? Willie James Jennings. It's out of his Acts commentary. Okay. It is That's a, a fantastic one. commentary. Really I will probably one. quote right. him every, every episode because he, <laughs> it's really beautifully written. I highly recommend it to everyone. And I think okay, that, good to know. that beautiful phrase applies not just to language, not just when we're thinking yeah. Greek or Hebrew or Spanish, but also cultures within a culture, right? So how do, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm an elder millennial, love that designation. Thank you so much. Geriatric millennial. Um, yeah. <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> but how do I translate this when I'm speaking to the Gen Zers in the college group? And how have mm-hmm. folks in the boomer generation mm-hmm. translated it for me, right? It's it's cultures within a culture too, because what we're finding, we're, mm-hmm. we're doing an all church Bible study on Philippians right now, and we're trying to be in the same study throughout the generations in our church. And you can ask mm-hmm. the same question of someone who's 80 and someone who's 20, and it may hit their ears completely differently. So so much of gospel work is translation Mm. work and that Mm. might be language, but that also might be cultural language that might be, you know, generational language and how much of the work of God is enabling us to love a people well enough to know them well enough to know their language. Um, And what a challenge that is for each of us because our, there are so many layers, even within my own orange County church. Mm Mm-hmm. To build the bridges, all those bridges. Mm-hmm. So then we get to Peter's Peter's speech. Peter um, has things to say. Yes. He often <laughs> does. Peter is not often without words. <laughs> but we see him, right? Like he's got it now. Finally, after yes. bumbling, 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 he is in front of this crowd speaking fire. Yes. It's finally come along for him. It has finally clicked. Um, and that it's happening. And that's what I think, too, people were pointing out is like it happens after the Holy Spirit. Now he gets it. There's a that sort of like was yeah. the last click right into position. Mm. Um, so that as he stands up and, and, you know, sermonizes, he's not doing it in his own power. It is in the Holy Spirit. And he is also surrounded by all these people who also have the Holy Spirit and are outpouring that. Um, and yeah, and they were talking about what he was quoting because he's in Joel and it how it's really about, you know, the spirit coming on people and then being able to like prophesy and be equipped, like all these things that we've been talking about and how it's available for everyone. You know, the flow of it is further than... Um, than it was before. So it was a really interesting 
again, the Old Testament and the New, the way he's sort of plucking this thing out of its different spot, but it, it, it works in what he's trying to accomplish. And I think that's one thing I noticed this time. I just never really thought about the fact that they were like Jews that lived at other places, um, mm-hmm. but were in Jerusalem. But it does, it obviously makes sense because they were there for a festival. So it's not like people who weren't Jews would be there for that purpose anyway. And so this is something that they would be familiar with, you know, sort of like Paul later will speak the cultural language, right, of the people in on Mars Hill. Here, we see Peter in all of his Jewishness, speaking out of that Jewishness to Mm -hmm. all the people. And again, verse 17, this is or 16 into 17. This is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel in the last days. So this is the last days, and this was 2,000 years ago. So take that, take that as you will. Yeah, that's... Certainly makes everyone being like, well, it's the last days now, you know. Makes me able to take it a little bit more. Grain of salt. (laughs) Makes us pause. Right? Our our senior pastor, because every once in a while we get someone who's like, it's the end of the world. And he's like, yes, we're closer now than we've ever been. And I love that answer. Because it's true. I love that too. No matter what, that is true. true. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Anything for you, Elisa, in the in his speech? I mean, I generally speaking like it. Um, yeah, it's a good speech. He did a good that, job. That, I mean, it is. He did a really good job, like really making it, um, making the whole idea of, of of Jesus understandable. And I think you know, in verse uh, thirty six, kind of wraps it up. Now, everyone in Israel can know for certain that Jesus, whom you crucified, is the one. God has made both Lord and the Messiah. So, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, in a way is very much like the introduction to like, hey, all this stuff you saw with Jesus in the past few years, and it doesn't make sense. And here's all of this. And I'm just going to sum it all up for you why this is the Messiah. And he's actually resurrected, which is an impossible, amazing feat, you know, and um, I, and I really, I guess I find it as very much like a like a stable ground almost mm-hmm. like, Hey, this is, this is what we stand on. This is what it comes back to. Um, and, and, and why we, why we stand on the resurrection and why it's such a big, big deal, whether you're a, you know, a Israelite or whether you are, you know, a Gentile, like, like myself, you know, it, I think, I think that it gives a really good example of that, about the, the importance of that. And I think that's something I've been meditating a lot recently, like the, and and I know that you and I actually have had some like random Instagram conversations (laughs) about this, Um, you know, about like the, the amazement, the amazingness of the resurrection and how quickly we lose Mm -hmm. that. And um, I remember a few years ago, listening to Andy Stanley speak, and he was like, Hey, people don't read the Bible and uh, very much anymore. And it's really hard to get them to do that. So like when we're talking with people, let's just always go back to the resurrection first, because we can at least, at least like there's so much at stake on that. And I feel like this, and that has kind of really stuck with me over the past few years, because it's true. Most of the time I can't have Bible studies with people. And most of the time I can't, um, uh, like they're not, 
like they're not that interested. I mean, they're, you know, maybe within the church they are, but outside of the church, a lot of times that is not the case. But when it comes down to like, you know, what I, what I talk about when I'm talking about advocacy work or, you know, making a difference, it always comes down to this idea of this, the resurrection and the, and the, the, the fact that, that God is coming to restore the world. And it's always at stake on this point, this point that Peter is making right here where he's like, Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is resurrected. Jesus is still alive. This is worth worshiping and giving our lives to. And I think that really for me that it comes back to that being like, yes, yes, he is. I can come back to this over and over and over and over again, because this is really like the nutshell of it all right here, right in this little spot. Yeah. And so I guess, I guess that's the way I perceive it is very much like, yep, this Right yeah, here. He's, I stake on he's this. definitely putting a stake in the ground and it works. A lot of people, a lot of people get saved that day, which is amazing. I know, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So the converts and the baptism. So what was it? 3000 people added. That's, I mean, that's like Billy Graham level stuff. <laughs> we had a stadium. It was amazing. <laughs> And, and I love how, as Peter tells this story, the agency is always God's, right? We see again and again, like God has done this. God has done this. God will send this spirit. Verse 24, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Um, I'm working up an Advent series right now for our church and reading Fleming Rutledge's book, Advent. Um, I don't know if you two know her. She is one of my favorites. She's brilliant. Um, But she writes that the church is not called to be a change agent. God is the agent of change. The Lord of the cosmos Mm. has already wrought the great exchange in his cross and resurrection. And the life of the people of God is sustained by that mighty enterprise. The calling of the church is to place itself where God is already at work. Um, Oh, wow. And Oh, I love that. That She's amazing. I want to be just like her when I grow up, but she, (laughs) she just unpacks this. and, And we see this in this chapter, right? God, death can't keep its hold. And then the people hear this story that we have crucified this Lord and they're cut to the heart. Where are we? Verse 30, um, 37. They're cut to the heart. They say, what should we do? You know, like we can't undo it. Like it's already been done. And Peter then says, repent and be baptized. Right. And again, you've realized the error, turn from it, but then everything else is from God. Be baptized, receive mm-hmm. the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? There's grace, there's forgiveness, mm-hmm. there's God, God's agency at work. Um, all you need to do now that you've realized is, is to open up your hands. Um, and what a beautiful reminder that is for each of us who are on this path, that it's not try harder, but it's, it's again, mm. open up your hands. The Lord has oh, done yeah. it. The Lord is doing it. The Lord is at work all around. I just, I have yeah. always loved Peter and there's something about seeing him come into his own because of the work of God in his life. That's so, um, it's just profoundly moving. God is at work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I was reading was to you, um, that baptism, it wasn't a completely foreign thing. They had some sort of like baptiz- baptism practice, um, which is why there are these pools here for them to even do that right now. Um, but that it was normally like for when Gentiles were could be baptized and become part of the Jewish faith. And so for all these Jewish people mm. to then be baptized 
was definitely like a commitment um, and very public and very, you know, um, different from what the expectation was. So it was really like they they too were putting a stake in the ground as they did it, which was like really mm. big for how they would normally have treated baptism. Also, mm. they were they were probably naked, which is cool, which is weird, but that's okay. <laughs> really yeah they said there were a lot of pools and so they were probably gendered right there would be women in one area men in another Mm -hmm. and usually they were baptized by like they dunked themselves kind of (laughs) apparently pack pack your swim Uh, trunks pack your ancient uh near eastern swim trunks so they were like yeah they were probably naked (laughs) but i was like well at least that's that's how they did it I don't know if that's how they did it here because we're in a different like they're obviously being baptized into something different but that's how it used to happen so there you go. Fun fact. It's interesting the the whole baptism thing, you know, in in the in the Pentecostal some of the Pentecostal churches, they have this very strong view of you must be baptized in the name of only Jesus, um which have always which has always kind of like confused me because I'm like, so Jesus said, you know, like in, in Matthew 28, he's talking about, you know, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And then so I've kind of been like, well, in the the you must baptize them in the name of well peter is saying that here returned god each of you must be baptized in the name of jesus and so i've i've been looking into that recently trying to understand where why that's like a why that's a big deal you know and it's interesting because i ran across some commentary was talking about so similarly like how you know the the jews they they didn't need to be baptized in the name of god because they already obeyed god and they didn't need to be baptized in the name of of the spirit because they already believed in the spirit um in the spirit baptism was looking different than the water baptism but jesus like the belief that he was the messiah that would be life-changing for them because that was something new to them. And it was a, in, in this passage, Peter was talking about baptizing them in the name of Jesus for the context of their belief in Jesus. Whereas, you know, it when Jesus is talking in, in Matthew 28, he's talking about going to all the ends of the world where you're, where you're meeting people who might never even believe in a God, or they might not believe in a spirit, and they might not definitely don't believe in a Messiah as Jesus, you know, and it was interesting because they were talking about, about the idea of when you are getting baptize it's it's making sure that you you believe you have this belief in God and the character of God in all these three parts versus, you know, believing, you know, like the Pentecostal church would be like, well, Jesus is all these three parts. So we're just going to use the name Jesus to prove that he's all three parts, which I find interesting. So it was kind of, it was kind of funny to run across that commentary talking about like, like when, and really the, the point of it was saying, Hey, when you're leading people to God and you're, and you're helping them, when they're ready to get baptized, like make sure that they understand God's character in these three parts, which I was like, this is very, this is very interesting. But it was like one of those things that I didn't really think was a big deal to a lot of people. But um, it is, it's a huge deal to a lot of people like, uh, like uh, denominations are built on it. And I was like, this is, this is fascinating. And it's right here in Acts 2, along with everything else in Acts 2, right there. Yeah, the I guess I never really, stuff. I never caught that it was just in the name of Jesus Christ here. Um, I know, that it, neither it's did sort I. Of like, until... Yeah, interesting, interesting little rabbit trail we had there. Um, okay, yeah. so then we see the new community being formed, right? So we've got the four things they do, devoted to teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, um, and then how they share life 
together um, and share their mm, things together. Um, yeah. Courtney, what did you think about that part? I think it's such a beautiful picture of what the early church was, right? What are the main things? We're going to eat together we're, you know, and celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to pray. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to make sure that those who are in need have what they need. And we're going to share what we have with one another. And I see this beautiful, ideal picture of what the church can be. And then I see every person I know who's tried to live in any sort of Christian commune have it end badly. <laughs> so sure. I think they're, right. it's aspirational. And it's also, I so wish there were 20 more verses about and make sure this and make sure that and check here and check there. And I think um, there, there is, there is grace in how short it is, but also invitation to figure out what this will look like in our particular context. And mm. what we have to be careful not to do is say, well, that was fine for them. This right. doesn't apply to us, which I think yeah. we mm. do so That's often in the world. Like, this was their context or they thought Jesus was coming back on Friday, which they may have, right? These are the last days these sure. things are happening. Oh. Let's get ready. Um, yeah. But to take this and say, okay, these are the things that are essential. Um, so who within our church community is in need? Who within our outside community is in need? And how can we share what we have? I've, I have a friend who lives in Chicago and just has a car that says it's God's car and the keys are in the ignition and it's in the garage. And if you need it. Mm. Um, and I think there's, oh, yeah, that. there's such an invitation to how we can creatively live with what we have within mm. our immediate context. Um, and also this reminder of the central things of what church are, because it is so tempting to just build programs on programs on programs and forget what's at the oh, heart yeah. of it. And one thing COVID has really shifted in our church is we had to pare back so much and now we're bringing some things back, but we have the opportunity to say what actually is essential and what actually is helping us love and serve our neighbors in the way Jesus would versus just being a thing that's fun to do um, because we may not need more things to do. So I love that this, this really is the heart of the matter when it comes to thinking about what church can be, should be, Mm -hmm. is called to be. Yeah. I love that. I the what I was seeing when I was, you know, researching for this um well that was that it was less about them like doing it and more about their willingness to do it. Um mm-hmm. that they were that they saw each other and even they were saying like um what was it? Like Greek associations would usually meet monthly, and like so, when they were meeting day by day, it really had more of like the family feel. So they were really more like in this very close knit things mm-hmm. that you know, just like your family member, you would be willing to give something in order so that they are healthy or happy or taken care of, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think though a lot of people are like, oh, it's you know this idyllic thing that nobody's ever going to actually be able to do but it's not really about it's not really about what it was this like but it was how they decided to how they responded to their faith and lived out this value that they saw um in the kingdom of god which um I thought was really interesting and, and helped me think through it because some days I'm like, yeah, it would be great to live in a commune and we just all like do our thing and everyone just shares stuff, but that it's not really about 
that. It's about, it's about the willingness and the desire um, to take care of one another, which I think is really, was a helpful uh, paradigm for me in this. Yeah. Do I mean, and I do think that there is some intentionality in it. Like, yeah, like I, I mean, I haven't lived in a full-blown commune, but I've lived in a context that was very commune-like, and it was a great experience. Um, And uh, although we didn't share everything we had, we still had our own bank accounts, but when somebody, you know, needed something, we would consider and be like, hey, what are we going to do about this, guys? You know, that type of thing, which probably gave us a few safety. Toothbrush, because that's a line (laughs) for me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Everything in common may not also include oral hygiene. Yes, certain hygiene products should be yours alone. There is some, you know, and and I I was um I heard the idea of like should we take this as prescriptive or or more of like a, a a challenge to consider like how do we be intentional about living life together and I and I kind of like that dynamic because I think it's very easy for us to to become um to become very self-focused. That's kind of our, our natural state. And it's very easy for us to build programs and it's very easy for us to, to do everything except for be vulnerable and authentic with each other. And I, I mean, in my experience, um, you know, I've been like my desires to build and be part of missional type communities. And within those, like you see discipleship happen because you're living life with people and they see how you respond when you're, when you yell at your kids and you have to say, sorry, like, like Mm -hmm. there's these dynamics that you get when you actually live life Mm -hmm. together that are authentic and real. And it shows you how the gospel can, can penetrate those aspects of your life. But when you are, when you're protected and you're only going to like events in, in small groups, you can put up a, face and a facade. And and I think that that's why there's so much um, sadness associated with the church right now is because many people have only experienced um, the church in the context of of a whole bunch of facades and a Mm -hmm. whole bunch of programs that not necessarily are bad, but they are lacking the the authentic reality of being the church and living life together. And so I think that, you know, looking at these verses, it's like this challenge to like live life intentionally with each other where where people really see who you are where you are actually being uh, inviting people into your homes and being real with them and 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 it's uncomfortable and it's hard and it doesn't mean that we're going to just like magically be good at it and setting ourselves up for it but you know like i i know that uh, we used to have a practice where i mean we've usually my family has always had somebody live with us that we're intentional about discipling which has been a challenge and we've had to learn how to make really good contracts and how to help people through their life experiences yeah. and protect herself at the same time, you know, but at the same time, like, you know, we used to have practices where we would always have people over for dinner and we fell out of habit of that. And that's something I've been really convicted on in the last, you know, few months, because I'm like, I have lost my ability to have people people see me as I am and live real life with them because I want to protect myself to a degree. Um, and sometimes that's good. But a lot of times, like, I'm like, I could open up my house two nights a week, I can be intentional about getting a frozen lasagna. So that way, there's enough food for us all, you know, rather that, you know, and and I've been kind of challenged in that being like, I have to start doing that again. Because when I saw myself discipling people well, and living as the church well, and really being connected to people, that was when I would have people over all the time. And so I think that it's more, again, about intentionality and like living that way, being like, sure. okay, we might not all need to move into communes. Um, right. 
and maybe that's not the best choice, but is there something that we can do? Like, is there a step we can take to become more like, more like this, like, because if the broad church, you know, for whatever reason, you know, you have another extreme COVID crisis, you know, you see that you're like, what remains? Oh, wait, we don't really know how to live life Mm -hmm. together without a big church structure. And so I think that that's been a huge and beautiful challenge for us as a church, you know, the church, universal church as a whole through COVID is that it brings us back to these verses. We're like, wait a minute, how do we do this again? Okay, let's come down to some basics that we see here in Acts 2. Like, can we live any of yeah. these out? Because and even can we do it better because to. of this time, you know? Um, yeah. Is, like you were yeah. saying, Courtney, this is a great time to be intentional and to be sort of pruning the things that maybe don't matter or aren't working or any of those things. Now you can ask your questions. You've got the opportunity to refocus on the things that matter and the intentionality of all of that. Um, Okay. It's time for our me thoughts and our we thoughts. Um, Courtney, how about you? What are your takeaways there? My takeaways really, it landed me at the last verse of chapter two of the, the people were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And I think there's a question of neighborliness there that, you know, there are historic mm. times where where it doesn't go so well for the church, but am I personally um, living in such a way that um, people, people want to be my neighbor, right? Am I the person in the yeah. neighborhood who is mm. kind and gracious and loving? And um, I think that's a me question and a we question, right? Are we enjoying the favor of the people, not just the people within our church, but, you know, are we, are, do our healthcare workers feel loved by us? Do our garbage men <laughs> feel loved by us? Does our mailman feel loved by us? And um, that if not, is it something gospel centric where we're offensive to the world or are we being jerks? And I think that's a really important question for me and for us and for the church as a whole. Um, If we're not enjoying the favor of the people because we are being wise and kind and gracious and loving, um, something is off. And that's that's a question I have to work through in my own heart as well, because sometimes I just have opinions that are so strong and I'm so sure I'm right. Um, But coming out guns blazing (laughs) is not it's often counterproductive. So even on behalf of the gospel, especially on behalf of the gospel, are we enjoying the favor of the people? Um, I think is, is a question for me and Mm. for all of us. Yeah. Kind of goes back to that translation thing, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, I I had a friend, I went to graduate school and before I went to seminary, I, I went to graduate school for English literature and a woman in my program at one point was like, wait a second. So you're a Christian? I was like, yeah. And she goes, interesting. <laughs> I always thought Christians were, were kind of like circus freaks, you know, but you're, you're pretty nice. And I was like, I'm going to take that. I'm just not, just not being a jerk for Jesus can preach really loudly. Honestly, it really can. <laughs> We should get oh, we gosh, should get t-shirts. Just just not be a jerk for Jesus. That is, I would wear Jesus. that with pride. Yeah, Let's I do it. it. I would I would wear that. I would wear I that shirt it. too. Uh Alisa, mm. what were your your big takeaways? 
I mean, I, I think going back to um, kind of the, uh, the view Jesus, the value that Jesus had of the spirit has kind of gotten me thinking all week because, you know, and I think that's a good question for all of us too, is, is do, do we value the spirits equipping the same way Jesus valued it? And I, and I've been asking myself that this whole week, I'm like, do I, do I value the spirit in the way that he did? I mean, like just perceiving his, his, his view of, of what the spirit would give us and how it would equip us. And I I guess I just find that beautiful and mysterious in that question. I just really want to go into it and explore it a lot more to be like, what does it mean to value the spirit the way that Jesus valued the spirit? What does it mean to be equipped with the spirit, the way that Jesus, um, the way that Jesus wanted us to be equipped with the spirit and kind of challenge myself in that. And, and I think that a lot of people um, that I know could use that challenge also to ask that question for themselves too. So um, I think that would probably kind of be my, you know, my main takeaway, although obviously there's, there's a lot of good stuff and really going back to the the ones the ones that, you know, Courtney was talking about, like all these ones about being intentional, um, or are we being a jerk, jerk for Jesus? Like, I mean, are we living as the community of Christ? I think that that's another really huge one. Um, and is there a step I can take in that direction to live more like the, the community of the way in the early church? I think that that's really another one that, you know, like I was saying, I'm trying to challenge myself to open up my home a couple nights a week and dedicate, um, time to do that and carve out that space just to be intentional, which meant last week we had a very awkward, you know, dinner conversation with somebody, but I think they felt very loved. Um, <laughs> you know, but I think, I, I think that that, that is a beautiful start that you can be like, I don't know where that's going to go, but. So we um, need yeah, just don't be a jerk too. t-shirts and we need happy to be awkward for Jesus t-shirts. We need, yeah. we got a whole, we're going to do a yeah. whole line. I think we, we will. I like <laughs> it. We're going to do a whole line. This is going. I do too. Merch, merch based on the season. <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah. So I would say my takeaways for me personally, I think, um, Alisa, you were kind of saying it too. This, I, I think I, I get very. I'm very. I'm a competent person, um, and so I get very uh, in that and very stuck on what can I do in my power, whereas. Um, this whole thing is about how the Holy Spirit is there and how the Holy Spirit's empowering and how all these things that happened didn't happen because Peter was a great speaker. Um, he was a great speaker because the Holy Spirit gave him speech. And so I think like remembering that for myself is important. And then if I'm thinking more of like a community wide, um, more of a, we thought, I think it's, it goes back to what we were seeing at the end. Like, what does it look like to be the community of God? What is important and what do we need to focus on as um, a group? Because we tend to, I tend to even add a bunch of layers onto things, um, a bunch of hoops to jump through, a bunch of things that need to happen or be done. And um, instead we can like, what is this simple, easy, um, maybe not easy, but simple um, things to focus on and prioritize in time together um, and in relationships together um, 
and this sort of like willingness to give of ourselves that we can cultivate. And I think that's, it's a tall order, but I think it's important that we start working towards it. So um, that's sort of what I'm taking with me. I love the word cultivate too. That's such a beautiful organic. It's not a try harder. It's a like tend the soil so that these things can grow. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this discussion, I would love it if you would rate and review the show on your favorite podcast player. You know the drill. This helps more people find the show and learn with us as we talk through scripture. And then I would love if you came over on social media to talk about what your big takeaways were, what your me thought and we thought were from our discussion or for when you dove into these chapters. You can find me on Instagram at kateboyd.co and on Twitter at thekateboyd. And don't forget to check the show notes to find and follow today's contributors as well. Thank you for joining us and I'll see you next time.